0: Watch out for that fourth turn and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 109 with guest Matt Mannion, recorded live Friday, April 15, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on DBnet and ASPnet classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPnet web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just can't bring himself tonight, another freaking racing joke, Carl Franklin.
1: Thank you. Welcome everybody. Hope you're having a good week or a good start of your week. My name is Carl Franklin. You're listening to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. And uh, as always, I'm here in New London, Connecticut on a beautiful spring day. Uh, not as always. It's not always spring here, and mind you. It's most of the time it's miserable. But anyway, I am here in New London and my co-host, my partner in crime out there in Vancouver, British Columbia is Richard Campbell. Hi, Richard.
2: Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, ever since I got those death threat emails, I've stopped talking about the weather around here. But maybe they'd be happy to know it's pouring rain here right now.
1: That does actually warm my heart. <laughs> I
2: thought it might.
1: And we're, we're, it's the reverse now. We're getting the beautiful sunny days uh, and you're getting the rain. Good. That's right. Well, it's the time of See how of year. you like and it.
2: You know, I'm actually going to see uh, our friend Tim Huckabee tomorrow. Oh, yeah? He was up skiing for the week in Whistler with his family and he's got an extra day left. So we we're going to pop down and uh, spend the day together. And then he's going to spend the weekend in detox or uh,
0: dumb.
1: Well, dumb. You, All right. Never somehow. mind. Moving right
2: along. Moving right along. And speaking of other uh, RDs, our mutual friend Kate Gregory is coming out to visit me soon. No kidding. Yeah. She's uh, doing a tour for Microsoft Canada on smart clients. And so she'll be out here for a few days. And I'm going to get a chance to see her. If uh, if anybody in Canada is up to uh, catchiness, they're doing it in a lot of different cities. It's at uh, MSDN.Microsoft.ca slash smart client
1: what else is happening in canada msdn wise these days
2: well the other big thing going on right now is we mentioned last week was uh, the last developer show yeah so this is a contest that uh uh, developers in canada only i'm afraid uh, except quebec i'm sorry there's lots of rules around this (laughs) can uh, win $25,000 for answering a whole bunch of questions about .net right nice Yeah, and lots of people signing up. The contest officially starts May 2nd, so there's still time to get started. And there are prizes every other week, so there'll be lots of Xboxes and other goodies given away as well. And you have a URL one more time? That URL is www.lastdeveloper.com. Beautiful. Well, as you know,
1: uh, I have been writing code this week, having a great old time with my friend Dax, uh, uh, my graphics uh, counterpart to my coding brain in India. And the two of us actually make one complete developer. It's kind of interesting how that works. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> but, oh, that uh, form is absolutely amazing. The crumpled look is the only thing I can describe it yeah, as. Yeah,
1: well, uh, we're not going to show people yet. But just say that, you know, old Carl is working on some really stellar stuff that we hope is going to change the face of podcasting forever. Well, nothing less. That said, we'll just move right along with the mail. I got two letters of note this week, and I know that you've been enjoying the fan mail. I certainly have. have. Yep. So this one is from Scott Duro, and he's in the UK, and he says, Hi, Carl. I've just been catching up with the shows. I've missed whilst being busy earning a living. I especially enjoyed Scott's rants on CSS. CSS Zen Garden truly is the nirvana of web design. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, me too. I would just like to enlighten you to the fact that there is an excellent Mozilla Firefox plugin that allows in place CSS editing without the need for continuous refreshing of the page and it also allows examination of the CSS style being applied to any selected element very cool very cool and I have shrinksterized that URL if you go to shrinkster.com/4r3 you'll see that Keep up the good work, and I look forward to the next episode of .NET Rocks. Cheers, Scott Duro, Lead Architect, Cyber, that's C-I-B-E-R-U-K. Thanks. That's great. And, uh, you know, Scott, we're going to send you a, a .NET Rocks with the newly designed Carl and Richard logo. You know, I swear, I'm just going to make a, a a new logo that just says .NET Rocks with no pictures and no times and anything. We've changed the the swag picture like 90 times on this show. <laughs> so the people who have the original Mark Dunn cups, those are going to be worth a lot of money someday, right? Someday. Someday.
2: Well, you know, we each last for 50 shows. So, you know, if you make <laughs> up a logo this time, it's good for at least a year. That's
1: right. Uh, this one comes from Terry Thibodeau. Hi, Carl and Richard. Love the show. It really keeps me updated with a constant stream of great new productivity utilities and great coding tips and practices. I just wanted to add a comment about the ISO utility that Ken Getz mentioned in show 105. I use images for everything. I hate relying on physical media because I can never find the damn disk when I need it. I hear that. Yeah. So when I set off in search of a good image tool, I tried many but found UltraISO to be the best so far. That's UltraISO.com. I did originally look at Magic ISO, but feel Ultra ISO has more features, a better interface, and more updates. A perfect companion to Ultra ISO is Daemon Tools. That's at shrinkster.com slash 4R4. And the AWXD Tools shell extension at shrinkster.com slash 4R6. It lets you create up to four drives in Windows on which you can mount ISO images to run as actual drives. I can't live without it. See, you just listen to DNR, you pick up a couple of new tools, and and, uh, how cool is that? Anyway, keep doing what you're doing, and thanks for making programming fun again. You're welcome. I take full responsibility for making programming fun. Thank you very much. (laughs) Terry Thibodeau, Programmer Analyst, Fraser Milner, Casgrain LLP, Calgary, Alberta. I'm a fellow Canadian. You will also get some swag of your choice, Terry. That's all I got for uh,
2: email. Well, we got some other emails, but uh, they're going to be Monday's emails.
1: Yes. There are just some that we just, well, frankly, won't read on Dignette that, That's all
2: there is to it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this is a very exciting show for me, um, Richard. The first time I heard about this project, this Indianapolis 500 Uh, racing project was at Dev Days 2004, and they actually did a video on this and uh, showed the video at Dev Days, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. And Then I realized that it was done by one of our own regional directors, uh, companies, John Rauschenberger's company, uh, Clarity Consulting. And in the back of my mind, I said to myself, you know, this has got to be a .NET Rock show. And, of course, like all good ideas, it immediately vaporized from my consciousness. (laughs) And then uh, we were, you know, uh, trying to think of some good uh, guests. We were reviewing all the possibilities for guests and trying to uh, figure out the schedule early this – late this winter, early spring. And that uh, that came up. So we got in touch with the right people and here we go. So Matt Minion – He's going to be on. He's an engagement manager for Clarity Consulting Incorporated, and this is a Chicago-based technology consulting firm and Microsoft Gold certified partner. Matt has delivered multiple large-scale WinForms and WebForms systems for a variety of industries, including retail, financial services, publishing, and banking. Contact Matt at mmanion, that's M-M-A-N-N-I-O-N, at claritycon.com. Welcome, Matt.
3: Hey, guys. How you doing?
1: How are you? Great. This is a, quite an impressive case study that Microsoft has done on this project. Uh, generated quite a lot of press, has it not?
3: Yeah, it has. We, we've uh, you know, we've had the case study they did, uh, case study referring to, and the video. I was actually in that video that you referred to in the opening as well. Awesome. Uh, we shot that down in uh, Phoenix last year at one of the uh, practice runs.
1: So let's introduce this, uh, this whole thing. What, what, is, what is it all about?
3: Well, the IRL or Indy Racing League, uh, they they had an application in place that they provided for uh, the teams in the pits, the crews, the pit crews, Mm -hmm. uh, the media, as well as manufacturers and uh, the race officials themselves. It was written in it was a Java Flash application that they wrote um, quite a while ago, and it. It worked okay for them, but it didn't give the users all of the flexibility and functionality that they were looking for. Okay, i.e., it was it was not customizable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the view you got of the race results was what you had to uh, stick with. Mm-hmm. Change uh, columns, or you know, highlight particular cars or racers, or, or hone in on different metrics within the application.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it wasn't scaling well as as. They needed more to put more users up on it. It just wasn't scaling well.
1: And you guys came in, and uh, the rest is history. No. So what did you guys do for them?
3: Well, They brought us in to build uh, actually a new application to provide uh, results to, these, to the teams and the media. So our job was to come in and build an application that would give them the additional functionality and scalability that they were looking for.
1: Oh, great. Now, when you say it was a Flash Java application, do you mean... Uh, Java on the back end and Flash on the front end with with some sort of Flash, the the Flash language, the action script or whatever?
3: Correct, yeah. The presentation layer was done in Flash and it was uh, the developer who did it actually, uh, was a Flash developer so he just kind of migrated to that tool to build this application. It really wasn't a very good fit. Okay. That type of application wasn't a good fit for Flash. It was very tedious to build and very very time-consuming and costly to maintain and to modify. So, uh, as a result, they just they just never modified it. They weren't able to make changes and provide the functionality to the huh. users
0: that they
1: needed. When you say it was tedious to build, it, it's it's kind of like a contradiction in terms because the whole reason you would use Flash is the, the ease of use in which you can create something, uh, you know, working that 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 looks pretty good in a very small package very quickly. And and so it's interesting to hear you say that uh, that it was sort of tedious. Uh, Richard, have you ever used Flash?
2: Now, I'm not a big Flash developer. I certainly worked in projects around those things. But, you know, I can imagine why you'd say it was tedious. It's, you know, Flash is good at some things. It's not good at others. When you talk about, like, meticulously detailed forms, those kinds of things, I don't see Flash as a great tool for that. It's, it's great for creating something a little more amorphous. Yeah. But, you know, the feature set's got to be pretty simple to really make Flash make sense.
1: Yeah. What were some of the things that what were some of the brick walls that you ran up against UI-wise? Or that they ran up against?
3: Well, the, the main results viewer is a data grid, and it presents uh, one row in the grid per car that's on the track. And then there's, like, a, like I said before, 30 or 40 different uh, metrics or measurements that the that system is taking as the car goes around the track, like lap speed, average lap, lap speed, you know, last lap speed, all that stuff. And so they had to build this, this matrix, this grid, in flash, uh, and as you pointed out, it's you know that type of application just doesn't play well with Flash. So yeah. I actually got to look at some of the code that this guy had to had to sling to make this work, and it it just it just wasn't pretty.
2: Yeah. Well, you think about all the stuff that's actually in a grid. Just the grid lines alone, every bit of that has to be coded in Flash.
1: And and just back us up a little bit and tell us what exactly the kinds of things this program does. Is this like a this is for taking measurements and, and displaying those things to the pit crew and the user, basically keeping everybody informed with the stats that uh, what's going on in the race? Is that Correct. what it's all about?
3: Yeah, the way it works is the track is actually outfitted with uh, uh, five or six uh, pickup points around the track. Uh-huh. Each, each track that the IRL runs a race on has been outfitted with these data, uh, these data sensors around the track. Okay. And each car has mounted underneath it uh, at a specified point from the nose it has to be the exact same distance for each car. It's like 33 inches from nose. You have to mount this transponder huh. underneath the car. Huh. And then as the transponder, as the car goes around the track and the transponder goes over these pickups that are in channeled in the track, hmm. it sends information back to a central computer that is capturing that information and it knows. Sure. Time it takes to get from one pickup point to the next, it, it can calculate the speed.
1: So it calculates speed, velocity, and all that other kind of stuff.
3: Correct. And so through the through the course of an Sweet. average race, this system is collecting eighty to one hundred thousand data points.
1: Wow,
2: it's a lot of data. And
1: how many? About how many cars race in one race?
3: You know, there's around thirty, between thirty and thirty-five on the track at any given time. Okay. Yeah, I started to say that all, the, all that data then gets sent back to a, a SQL Server 2000 database. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was our job to present that data to the users in a way that, that could be useful and helpful for them. And, and everybody's looking at it from a different perspective. The race teams are looking at how fast the car is running, maybe at a certain section, certain turns. They're looking at lap speeds, average lap speed, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the manufacturers are looking at something different. And then the media and the race officials are all looking at something different. So... The application needed to be highly customizable so everybody could look at or hone in on different pieces of data that they want to see at any given time.
2: That's sweet. So you've got this one source of all this information. You've got to be able to put it out in lots of different ways.
3: Correct.
1: Uh, I just want to give everybody the URL to the case study that Microsoft did on uh, on the Indy Racing League project. It's at shrinkster.com slash 4R2. That's 4R2 and uh in that you can uh, get a really good sense of what the application is and what it does that you know if you if you're not getting it from this interview uh but there's a lot more information up there in terms of uh you know the reasons that they chose .net tell me about the you know one thing i would thought was really interesting reading this uh case study is the the constraints that you guys were under to provide this application tell me tell me how that came to be that that all of a sudden you had X amount of weeks, and it absolutely had to be done quickly. And, and tell me about that.
3: Yeah, it, it was kind of painful, and I don't know all the circumstances that led up to you know the, the shortened timeframe. But the, by the time we were brought in by the IRL to help them build this, it was December. Um, actually, I think it was actually maybe late November. And they needed it by January because they knew that their first race or their first practice run was going to be in Florida in January. Ouch. essentially had a five week window and a very tight and limited budget to deliver this application so it was it, it was pretty hectic, but uh, that was a big part of why they brought us in and why we chose a net platform to help us get that done
1: and so they were basically just like help you know and and you guys decided that uh, that you would use net you obviously had been using it before and hadn't having some success. What was your uh what was your uh, particular role in the project?
3: My role was uh, engagement manager and actually I, w- I turned out to be the lead developer as well because there were only there was myself, a partner from Clarity and then we had one developer from the IRL uh, working on it so it was really uh, three or really two and a half resources on the project for the five week period.
2: Three people in five
1: weeks to build the whole thing and and what were the different pieces that were involved?
3: Well, the, the main application is obviously the results viewer. That's what everybody's using and looking at. But on top of that, then, we also had an operator console, which is what they use to set up each race, uh, all the practice sessions. Okay. A, a race really consists of like a three- or four-day event, and there's usually two practice sessions, a qualifying session, and then the race, which is you know, the end of the last part of the event. Right. So the operator console allows them to define the race. All the practice sessions are going to have uh, the start and stop time of each session, And all that's visible on the viewer.
0: Hmm.
3: We had the operator console, the results viewer, and then we also provided a way to look at historical results that they could take home with them at the end of the race. So there's a viewer for that as well. Cool.
2: So they can actually dump some data and be disconnected from the the central server and and still view their race data.
3: Absolutely, yeah, because the the data grid that we used to show the results was actually – uh, driven by a, a strongly typed data set that we just found to that data grid. And
0: okay, now this is interesting. we give
3: them the option to just persist that data set to an XML data set on their, local, on their local hard drive. And then when they leave, they can go home and they can analyze that, that, those race results at, at their leisure, disconnected. And over time, we, we would build up so at the end of the year, there's, I don't know, 12 or 14 or 16 races, uh, they'll have, it'll have a data set for each one, and they can actually compare performances from race to race. That's
1: interesting. That's excellent. Now, the operator console—is this a, a Windows application or a web app or what?
3: That's a WinForm app as well. It's it's uh, it's only it's got one user basically. It's it's the folks in the uh, timing and scoring booth.
1: And were you guys writing directly to um, AD, with ADO.net, just a SQL Server over TCP/IP, or were you using web services, or what? What's the transport uh, we, like?
3: We we didn't use a web service. We just we just basically were using uh ADO.net talking to the database.
1: Okay. And how much uh, how much was that SQL Server working? What, how many uh, you know? How, what kind of performance? How did it perform?
3: The SQL Server performed outstanding. Uh, we pretty, they, it was powered on a pretty nice size server. Um, okay, but you know we had a, it's pretty taxing because while while the one application is shooting in these eighty to one hundred thousand rows, we've got anywhere from forty or fifty plus users hitting this thing uh, with about a half second refresh rate. To get the latest results back, so the results on the screen are never more than a half second old. Wow! So, and so the timing is actually pretty quick from the from the track, you know, the transponder to uh, the SQL server, and then back up to to the um, to the viewer.
2: I was just thinking, you must have another glob of code sitting there monitoring the transponder, and as data is coming in, writing it to the database, and then it's just a straight you're just straight polling against the database to see the data as it comes in.
3: Right, so those were kind of two, those are two disconnected processes, and there's one application that was running, just collecting data off the track and shooting it into the SQL Server, and then there was our right. application sitting on top of the SQL Server, just pulling the data off every half second for each client.
2: So the main thing you guys worked on was the pre- presentation side of this. You didn't the feed stuff worked.
3: Correct. The infrastructure for the data feed off the track and the transponders was already in place.
2: That's
1: nice. Uh, I like this uh, this quote from uh, John Kosky. He, it says, initially, Kosky was concerned that the increased volume of, uh, of data access, of data, uh, what am I trying to say, aggregation, could be an issue in the server's performance. Quote, in a typical race, we'll feed 80,000 to 100,000 records into the database. In addition to a lot of outgoing information, we're serving up 300 to 600 simultaneous connections per second, he says. We were a little worried about how SQL Server would handle that volume, but as it turns out, we were running at less than 20% of processing power. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, and we we tested that back in Indianapolis when we were building the application. What I did was I put a – I used uh, Application Center Test uh, Act Mm -hmm. and um, basically just put up a web page that was just calling into that results viewer method and stored proc,
0: Yeah,
3: and I just loaded up several hundred clients just hammering away at that thing and then I put performance monitors up on the SQL server box. Yeah. And uh tune, you know, tune the query that way and just let it fly. And we knew before we even got out to the track, we knew that that thing was going to perform real well.
2: It was going to handle a lot more data than you could probably throw at it.
1: You know, one thing that I remember from the video is that you guys were using tablet PCs, is that right, with a wireless network?
3: We were using the wireless network. That's how we get the data to the tracks. They, every time they go down to the each venue they have to set up this wireless network and each crew actually puts up their own uh, computer what they want to view the results on so it doesn't isn't necessarily a tablet pc
1: okay but i do i think i remember somebody had a tablet right
3: uh may have been yeah
1: yeah i just thought that was very cool you know a uh, perfect application for a tablet the guy in the pit you know uh looking at the information and the car at the same time you know so he can diagnose what's going on, you know, around lap four, uh, you know, so there was a slowdown or something
3: like this. And
2: This is a smart client app, right? This is not a web-based app.
3: It's not web-based. It's Windows Form application, and, and it was a smart client application because they really wanted the ability to push updates out to the teams without having to disrupt them or, you know, visit each team and, and station and install an update.
2: Yeah, I guess all these teams are independent entities, and they've got their own gear, and you need to work with what they've got.
3: Correct. So they, we publish minimum standards that they need to have in order to run the application, and then after that, they just they show up with whatever they want. And as you point out, it could be a tablet PC, it could be a, a desktop, whatever. And then there's so many different players they're dealing with, because beyond the crew, then they have the media are all looking at this, so they're, you know, they're running it, uh, the manufacturers come in, and they want to see how they're your tires and motors and what have you are performing out on the track, so they come in and they want to look at results, so they're they're looking at it. So hmm. a lot of times you don't even know who's coming in, you know, on any yeah. race. So it's very difficult to coordinate those updates.
2: All these different bits of data about specs on the car, state of the tires, all those kinds of things are coming regularly via these sensors on the track
3: well the performance of the cars coming through the track and then they can they can interpret what you know what that means
2: yeah i was going to say some of the data
1: gets inferred from just the, the raw data and the ratios
2: yeah because i know i've and i've read lots about race cars having telemetry systems but i wasn't sure that the track data was part of that same telemetry or if they're separate things
3: a lot of times it's separate the car owners themselves will you know might put monitoring systems and sensors in their cars themselves right that's that they're only privy to that
2: yeah, so then they have detailed data of their car, but when it comes to official track performance figures, the track's in control of that.
3: Correct. These are the official results. That, the results that come out of the system are the official results published by the IRL.
2: And everybody's using wireless for it. Yeah. I'm just wondering how well the wireless network hang, holds up under all those machines and all those connections.
3: You know what? When, when we were out at Phoenix, surprisingly, there, there was there was one little glitch at one end of the track that just uh, on the on the way down, you know how the crew runs all the way down the Straightaway there, yeah, the folks on the far ends were having a difficulty, but they actually were able to remedy that, and for the most part, it, it runs real well.
2: Wow! So, I mean, a bunch of access points or just one really powerful antenna?
3: They had uh, they actually had a, one other relay point on the at the at the race I was at.
1: I got a really interesting question for you. I don't know uh, if you can specifically address this yourself, but do you remember what were some of the specific problems they were having with the Flash Java version? And uh, you know that that were solved are non issues in in the .NET version that you wrote.
3: Well, you know the biggest thing there were issues on both ends of it. There were issues from a from the developer perspective that we already talked about, just the difficulty in maintaining it. Um, and given the way the race season runs most of the year, they have very little time to be back in the office and, and modifying their applications where well, they can yeah. back out on the road and doing a race every month. Yeah. So they really don't have a, a big window on which to do these application uh, changes.
1: I also read in the in the case study that there are some problems with the, the different versions of the JRE caching on the client or on the server or something. There were some, some issues with versioning that, uh, that couldn't be solved.
3: Yeah, they ran into some issues with that, and they had issues with – they had like a middle tier that actually sat between their SQL server and – the flash application and they had issues with that as well. Mm. So the other, and then the other problems they had were just, they couldn't customize this. So there's, like I said, there's like 40 or 50 data points that you can look at. And with a flash application, you had to look at all of them.
1: You know, Richard, as I'm, as I'm listening to this, uh, you know, reading the case study and listening to the story, I get the distinct feeling that this is like the perfect application to write, you know. It's not mired in in uh, lots of complex business objects and you know lots of rules and and you know extremely large complex uh, architectures. It's a simple data set centric uh net app.
2: Uh, you know. Yeah, but it's velocity sensitive. I mean, the timeliness of the data is critical.
1: Oh, sure. No, and, no. no I'm not, uh, I, yeah. And it's
2: got to be very customizable. Everybody, there's more data than you can possibly reasonably look at, so right. you need to be able to sort it in the form you need to see it as.
1: But I, I guess what I'm saying is that it's almost like ma- It seems like it's made for that model. You know, like the the whole .NET dataset centric programming model really just is like a no brainer in this situation.
2: Well, and the kicker is the offline stuff.
1: Oh yeah, totally. That's great. I, you know, it's a kind of application uh, that I wish I could get to write once in a while. That's a,
0: you know,
3: you know it's, it's a real fun application to write because uh, you know, as you're building this, they had we had a simulator there in the office that would run with a videotape of historical races, and as the video was running, then in the background we can simulate the data coming through for those cars. Yeah, so, uh, it, it was just fun to do. The only thing was just just the time the time frames with which we had to do it. Right. But other than that, you're right, it was just a, just a classic you know, WinForm app, data set, bind to a grid. The thing that made it difficult was all the functionality they wanted in the grid
1: yeah. in five weeks. In, and, yeah. and you used just the standard grid? Did you did you modify the...
3: We actually went with, um, it was an Infragistics data, data grid. Oh, okay. Ultra wind grid or whatever. How did you like that? Uh, you know, it's it's not the most discoverable programming interface in the world, mm-hmm. but it, it had a lot of the functionality and flexibility that we wanted okay because just you wanted to be able to customize everything
1: a little bit of a learning curve though I imagine you'd have I mean you have a learning curve with any kind of
3: grid w- with anything yeah yeah, yeah but, but the grid actually worked out real well and users are able to pick and choose the columns they want to see what color they want if they want to highlight them they can oh, choose wow. the font different font for every column if they want uh, when the race is actually running and there's uh, dynamic data in there they can pick a row certain rows that they want to highlight Um and change the color, the background color, the font on those rows. So if they want to highlight their car, for example, and maybe their next closest one or two competitors, they can kind of signal them out, signal them out and, and keep an eye on them and let everybody else just kind of fall to the background so they can just focus on what they want to.
1: Here's a good question from the chat room. How did you handle two cars crossing the same sensor at the same time? Or did the, did the cars have ID identifiers in them.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. And the cars all have an identifier okay. in them. And because and we used to joke about, you know, I have you ever switched them up? Because those all get pre-assigned ahead of time. Got it. <laughs> you have to mount the right transponder in the right car.
2: Yeah, that, that would be bad.
3: That's critical. Very critical. Yes.
1: So you don't actually, so the, the sensors will handle data in series then? You're not going to have uh, parallel data coming in through that? Right. Okay. There, that's the answer that he was looking for. Cool.
2: Now, there's a mention also here on the uh, website or on the case study about SharePoint.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a whole other piece of the application within the five-week window.
2: <laughs> oh, great.
1: Oh, man.
3: Yeah, they, they, just, they wanted a way to share documents and information with the race teams and the sponsors and what have you. And they had a website up that was a custom-built website. But, again, it was difficult for them to maintain, get content to. They have a very skeletal IT staff. I mean, at any given time, they have no more than three people and that includes John who is the director. Right. So they just don't have a lot of time to do this stuff and so in parallel to the application that we were building we also worked on uh, implementing the SharePoint portal server. And that was a, that, that was a huge success. They they love the product.
1: So it was October to January you had to work on it three developers essentially, right? Correct. And two of your guys and one of theirs and how 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 much time was spent in testing?
3: Oh, boy. Yeah, we compressed that down quite a bit. But as I said, we had all the race simulators, so that went real well. So we did that testing, and then I did all of the, um, you know, the stress testing with the uh, App Center test tool. Uh, probably in that? a week. Probably in a week time frame.
1: Wow. Did you actually get a chance to test it on live cars before a race?
3: No.
2: Oh,
1: oh my before God. A race,
3: before a race? Yes, we did because oh, in, because in January they have their. Uh, these warm up races they're not really races they're just events where cars can you know people can come out okay. and teams can come out and try the cars out and try the track out
1: make sure uh, nothing's so going to blow
3: up we had two actually two runs of that one in one in Miami and one in Phoenix uh, the phoenix one is where they shot that video that you saw okay
2: if i'm doing the dates right here you've now had another off season to work on the app that's correct so uh, what changed
3: You know, I can't answer that. We didn't, I personally haven't done anything on the app since we delivered it.
2: (laughs) Oh, right. Of course. So you were done and you've handed it off now to the customer, which is IRL, and they've probably worked on it from there.
3: And then from there, you know, we'd have to ask John, I I don't know what modifications he's made to it in the off season. And
2: you're
1: talking Um, about John Kosky, right? John Kosky, yes. Was John Rauschenberger involved at all?
3: John was the, you know, one of the contacts that got us introduced, got the IRL introduced to us through Microsoft. Okay. But actually, the players from Clarity on the project were myself and a partner from Clarity, Darren Whitty. Okay. And he helped do some of the development um, on a part-time basis and with myself, the developer from the IRL. And then actually, John Kosky did a fair amount of the portal work, or um, SharePoint portal server work.
1: So you guys so. literally got this up with, uh, with a week to test. And that first race, were there any glitches? Was there anything that you needed to... Uh, to fix and get a new build out, and did that work? I mean, how did you handle updates?
3: If, there there you know. were actually uh, no issues with it. <laughs> wow. Put it out, and they went down to Miami. We went there, and John sent us an email back saying that everything ex- – there was one issue. I take that back. There was an issue with uh, user permissions, I think. Oh, okay. Something about they had, had something configured. Some of the people couldn't get in, and he was able to fix that. That's uh, always an issue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Once you get into the you know the live production environment, is always you know,
2: it's a all transitioning hardware. You go to a new set of gear, you always bang into permission issues and things like that.
3: Yeah, right. But yeah, actually, I'm. I it ran it ran pretty well right out of the box. Sweet. Um, I know we had an, we had one issue in Phoenix. Uh, one of the guys had from the IRL had made a change, and then when we got to Phoenix, it wasn't working. Right. I happened to be there uh, to do the video. Darren and I were there. We helped them troubleshoot it, and we popped out another version right there.
1: Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends' Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com. Makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.net. Very nice stuff. You compile the, uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine. And you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports, too. So great stuff! Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. So this is obviously a huge win for uh, the v b net community you know how that you obviously had a choice of language to use I mean, was it a matter of that you the developers that were working on it that's what they knew and therefore you chose v b net or
3: yeah yeah I, I think it i think i think v b net was a natural choice because the I r l part of the flash java implementation was that middle tier that I briefly mentioned was written in v b six okay And so these guys had, they had, and the website was done in VB6 and ASP. Right. So, you know, they're kind of used to the VB and the scripting language and that kind of thing. So VB.net just seemed like the natural choice for them.
1: So did you guys train them before you started developing?
3: We didn't. We didn't really have time, but that was part of our mission, actually, was to not only deliver this application, but also to bring in, you know, the, the application or development structure for them, you know, a framework, so to speak. So Right. You know, we developed, uh, you know, data access classes actually built on the application block, you know, data access application oh, block. Oh, cool. Um, you know, implemented a strategy for exception handling, security, that kind of, the, just all the basic things that you, in a framework that you need to build on, you know, names, right. standards, things like that. So we brought all that and laid all that down, showed them how, the, how that worked and what that was, and then we started building the application on top of that. So in addition to getting the Results your app, they also got this development environment and platform with which to build other applications for the
2: IRL. And it strikes me that you've really focused on what their main stumbling box was, was making it easy to maintain. They don't get a lot of time to make changes. They can't take a lot of chances. And there's lots of varied demands on them, so they've got to be able to keep building this app up.
3: Right, and it's exactly, and it's a very competitive environment out there. I mean, you know, race, you know racing in America has become, has become popular, but there's you know there's competing entities out there. Right. They want to be able to provide their users and customers the best possible product that they can. They just couldn't respond to those needs in a way like they can now with the system we built on the NET platform.
1: And the end result is you saved them quite a bit of money, didn't you?
3: I, I think so. I yeah. think you know we we definitely came in on time, under budget, and um, give an application that doesn't cost as much to maintain and uh, or to modify.
1: Yeah. How did you deal with uh, new builds, versions, versioning?
3: Um. Yeah, we, we we actually left them with uh, – because we only did one build uh, okay. other than the one we did in Phoenix. So we did an initial build, and then we trained them on how to uh, – it was all kept in source safe. So they would do a new build, and then we trained them on how to use the uh, application updater component. Oh, cool. Is what we used to implement the smart client component of, of the application.
1: So I've heard two uh, patterns and practices group application blocks in this application – now, you guys are obviously big uh, big on that stuff.
3: Right. We use the data access. It's a, you know, it's a modified version of it, but we, we kind of started there. Mm-hmm. And actually, we watered it down for them a little bit because they don't need all, all the functionality in there. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that I mean, that component, once it's in, they should never have to change that. Right. They can use to develop every application they do now.
1: Speaking of that, have you seen the enterprise library, the new sort of all-encompassing uh, set of application blocks from the PAG group?
3: Yeah, I've taken a look at it, but I haven't really had a chance to play with it.
1: It sounds like if you had that, that would have just been a no brainer. Right. Hmm. Sweet. Wow, oh. man. I'm I'm sort of running out of questions. It's
2: just too too easy, man. <laughs> this stuff works too well. That's right. So you put it together and it worked. Okay. Well where do we go with that?
3: <laughs> it it really was a success story. I mean, and and yeah, so it it, it was a fun application to work on and and you know. Using using .NET and, and, you know, we needed to build strongly typed data sets. We used the drag-and-drop wizard to do that. You know, we wanted to persist historical results to, you know, the hard disk, and we used just the the built-in facility with a data set, right? You can write it out to XML and read it back in. Um, I mean, really, as a productivity tool, I mean, this, this was just a perfect fit.
1: Here's something that we've been talking about a lot on DotNet Rocks, which is, you know, sort of data sets versus business objects and, you know, which pro- which kinds of projects are conducive to each. And I'm wondering, you know, one of the things that Rocky Latka uh, talks about all the time with uh, the problems with data sets is that, you know, programmers can just reach in there and make changes without any sort of validation code taking over. Uh, there's minimal validation of constraints, and even that is kind of hard to control, and then there's really no way to put logic in there unless you use type data sets. And then if you have to regenerate them, your code goes away, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, did you guys, was that, I mean, obviously it worked, but uh, were there any issues with data sets that you wish you had a little more control over, programming wise?
3: You know, I, I guess I agree with those statements in general. But for this application, uh, other than, you know, because the, the bulk of this application was pulling data back and presenting it. Yeah. So you know in the for the operator console, you know we're doing updates, but you know for the most part this really was a you know the data set worked real well in this application
1: so presentation layer uh objects that type data sets just totally rock totally because you're just reading the data there's no there is no updating, so there's no validation so there you go.
2: Right. Yeah, it would occur to me that all the data you're getting in is straight inserts as well. You're never changing data except in the configuration side. Right. With all those velocity tables, that 100,000 rows over the course of a race, it's just straight inserts as right. fast as you can get them in. So
1: you're in, in. nobody's going to create a data set just to do an insert. And then, yeah, so you're obviously uh, writing store procedures and calling them directly, which is great.
2: How much involvement did Clarity have on the SharePoint side of this?
3: Uh, we had actually Darren, that was, uh, Darren's did most of that. I actually didn't do too much in the SharePoint. Uh, and I, I would say a fair amount.
2: Yeah. It looks like it really shifted away a lot of the work that they're doing internally. I mean, I guess the, the key of IRL is their communication path to the teams. And that's, I guess what the role of this website is, is that getting, getting those teams have access to what's going on inside of the league all of the time.
3: Exactly, and they were able to provide information to the to those teams that they just they just couldn't do on their custom website. So Darren went in and helped them you know, set it up, get the framework in place, and then uh, with between Darren and John, they pretty much handled John Kosky, They they pretty much handled the whole SharePoint side.
1: So they they they've been humming along for an entire year with this application, and uh, and and as you said, you have not had to go back and help them consulting wise with any with any issues or
3: That's correct. Yeah, I think they you know, I I don't know if they wanted some updates done throughout the year or not. Uh, John and Darren were in contact for that, but I don't think Clarity has done any additional work on it, and I know I haven't personally.
2: That's really sort of a success story on your side if not particularly profitable. Hmm the app just works and and you've basically created a net development team inside of the IRL now.
3: It's great. right. and that was you know that was the other deliverable that doesn't get talked about right because everybody can see the app and the case study is done on the app but in, but in reality, you know these guys now are empowered we've empowered them to build other applications and to maintain and extend this one and to respond to you know requests and updates from their from their users.
2: I you know I sit in a similar seat as you do as a consultant where we're usually dealing with these concepts of return on investment and they don't talk about the fact that retreading developers at getting them up to speed on these new tools has such a significant uh, advantage for the company in the long term not just the project we're working on right now
3: right right and when we leave when oh they're you know they they now have the knowledge to help themselves and that's you know that's a big part of it and that's you know that's that's you know, what we get out of it too, you know, it's the application, but it's also knowing that, you know, we, we're helping these folks out. Yeah. So that they can do some things in the future on their own. Here's
2: and the- you set the bar so high. Oh, and by the way, you can build a mission critical app in five weeks flat.
3: Yeah. That was drop dead. I mean, you know, that, that first race was coming and they needed this application there and, and we delivered.
2: They'll use the old app if this one isn't completely ready.
3: Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was really an option. <laughs> well, we didn't consider it anyway. Maybe somewhere in the back of John's mind he had a plan B just in case, but we weren't we weren't ever considering that as an option.
2: Yeah, it wasn't your problem. You focused on getting this thing out the door.
1: Here's a question from the chat room uh, from Matt Trevers in Pittsburgh. He says, since this application is so data-centric, did you use any special tools to optimize SQL? Either your SQL queries or tune the SQL server, or was there any special tuning of the SQL server? Is no, is the only thing I device? used
3: was just uh, a performance monitor. You know, I huh. put in, I used that App Center test. Yep. And just hammer I literally hammered away at that thing with, uh, you know, just simulating multiple clients hitting this thing, and then put some performance counters on, and you know, watched it go.
2: So watched how the machine was surviving the uh, the load. And hey, we haven't really talked about the SQL Server side of this. Was that already in place when you guys came in?
3: Uh, yeah, part of it, yes.
2: So they were already running SQL Server. They had a data model in place, good or bad, and you just had to add in the additional features to let the presentation layer do what it's supposed to do. Correct. And I, you know, I'm a data guy, and I look at these re- performance requirements and say, yeah, no problem. Like a hundred uh, thousand rows over the course of a race, that's easy. Yeah, we can take that. It's far more challenging to present that information in a useful way.
3: Right, and to pull it back and have the half-second refresh. So
2: yeah, that that time sensitivity to data is the one that's going to get you
3: right yeah because they don't want this thing to be three seconds old right I mean that's an eternity here right
2: yeah in a race
1: definitely and they're showing this the data in real time to the crowd right on some sort of
3: marquee I uh, they do they do it's different at each at each um, at each venue but some of them have that
2: hmm. have have a tie to this application to be able to feed that data directly right Wow. Challenging stuff. There's yeah. a lot of different pieces to this. And it just, there's a whole press angle as well, that this is what the press guys are counting on to know what's going on in the race and report it uh, What whatever medium they're using.
3: Right. Right, so they're sitting there with this app in front of them and then reporting off of that.
2: Does the IRL have much contact with the public with this sort of thing as well? Like, is there a website that's showing the state of the race is in semi-real time?
3: You know, they have a website, but it's you know, this app, because this is a WinForm app, so it's not, it's not shown over the web. Right, um, I think they were going to work on a, on another another web application, but I, I I don't know the status of that.
1: You know, uh, I'm interested in in the company Clarity Consulting a little bit. Um, I know that uh, that you and John Rauschenberger, the regional director, uh, also is part of the company. But what sort of other things do you guys do, just to, in terms of normal projects for? For other clients, or are there are there other sort of uh, applications that that you might want to talk about that you've built?
3: Yeah, we uh, you know we do a variety of applications. I mean, we're we're here based here in Chicago, and, and we we do applications for all kinds of industries. You know, retail. I've, I've worked in retail, um, financial services, uh, obviously the Indy, Ra- Indy Racing League, and uh, right. You know, as as far as what we typically do, this was this was kind of a small scale application, we typically do more larger scale um, applications for our clients.
2: So, yeah, this is kind of an unusual project. I don't think you would ever seen anything like that. Uh, how did you guys come to, to connect with the IRL? How did this all come to be in the timeline that was so tight?
3: You know, I, I, I want to say we hooked up with them be, through the relationship that John has, John Rauschenberger, through Microsoft. So they, I think they contacted Microsoft
0: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, were looking for some help that way.
2: And, of course, they're based out of Indianapolis, so that's not that far from Chicago. In fact, I've driven it.
3: Mm. Right. I used to go down on Monday morning. It's like a three-hour drive for me. So i go down on Monday mornings and then stay till Thursday night.
2: Have you noticed the guys in Indianapolis don't know what speed limits are?
3: <laughs> no, they all think they're on the racetrack.
2: It's amazing. They, Of course, the, and I realize the reason they drive so fast in Indiana is there's nothing to hit. <laughs> if you go off the road, you're in a cornfield. You pay the guy 20 bucks to pull you out, and you're going again.
3: <laughs> Sounds like fun. Well that was actually in Speedway, so that's a that's a lovely part of town. But uh Indianapolis itself, the downtown area is actually very nice. I was actually quite surprised. It was, it's it's a pretty nice area. It's a great drive. Track is off in Speedway, just outside the city, so
1: Well here's a question from Nolan who's actually in Victoria, uh, Richard. Yeah, not far from me. Yeah. He says, uh, "In fact, he's in your
2: basement, man. What's going on?" No,
1: <laughs> he's locked down <laughs> in there. I know
2: who Nolan is. He, uh, I've, he's been at the, the Victoria User Group. Uh, shout out to Nolan there. Uh, hi, guy. Hey, man. I'll see you
1: guys next a uh, couple of weeks from MCSL. He says, "And this is a good question. Uh, how difficult was the learning curve for the VB six guys? Were they able to? Uh, obviously, they were able to adapt, but uh, you know, were there any sort of grokking issues that they had?" Um getting getting vb.net i mean what did they think of, about Yeah VB? you
3: know that's actually a very good question uh, you know the for the for, the, for th- this developer it was a, a little bit of a it, a little bit of a learning curve for him because he didn't you know he was he was used to writing these flash applications and we came in and we had a more of a component or n tier right. based uh, approach yeah and that concept was kind of difficult for him yeah, didn't understand. So we had, you know, we, you know, we created a, a, you know, a base class for, for doing data access, right? So everything, then we, you know, inherit from that base class and build on top of that. Mm. Not that we had a lot of functionality in there, but in case they ever wanted to, you know,
2: yeah, you were putting a framework in place so that you could tolerate whatever they wanted to do.
3: Exactly. So I was trying to put this framework in place, and so it's component based, and it's end tier, and. I think he was just used to just going from the UI straight to the database, you know, just make a call right from there and and, and you know so yeah. that type of structure and environment and framework was new to him. And you know it wasn't wasn't the object-oriented thing was kinda of tough too.
1: You know, I, I teach VB.net to VB six developers and for the most part, uh the people who come to my class have read the uh the requirements that you have to be an intermediate level VB six developer to come to my class every once in a while you get somebody who thinks they can hang you know right out of access or asp and and every so every once in a while i get i get that and you know it almost seems like you have to sell them on why they're taking this adding this extra layer of complexity because you know in a class in a very simple example it's just contradictory to to common sense you know of what they're building at the moment so i find that it takes You know, a suspend. I say, look, just just suspend your faith right now. Just go along with this, and and you know, all will be revealed in the end. You know, and and after a few different interfaces and a few different business rules, and you know, a few different ways in which you can leverage those components, sort of take form. Then the light bulb goes off. But it, it really is a a weird place to just sort of be introduced to N-tier architecture as a VB6 developer, I think. Because you really have to get sold on the fact that you need to do this, and it's it's not entirely obvious right away.
2: Well, and the benefit doesn't come from the initial coding. It comes from the maintenance. It comes from the later versions. That's where you really see the advantage of this sort of organization.
1: Yeah. I think that's going to be a challenge for you know, for Microsoft to, uh, you know, to get across in the next version of Visual Basic, which, you know, is is admittedly sort of uh, going going down to the VB programmer's level a little bit in terms of some new high-level tools and, and uh, interfaces and things that they can use to, to be more familiar. But ultimately, you're still going to have that architecture, why am I doing this architecturally kind of stuff that has to be taught somehow. And, you know... That's the sort of the thing that I worry about all the time because those are my customers.
3: Yeah, and he, and he eventually came around and, and he got it, but it, it was just – it's just not intuitive. And if you're right. used to, you know, hey, I'm here and I want to go there, I'm going to take a straight path. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I'm telling him, no, you you, know, you kind of want to take a left over here and then, <laughs> and then turn into the driveway. And and uh, it, yeah. it just was hard for him, but – you know, in the end, he was he was just singing the praises of, of .NET and what he could do, because you're talking about a guy who had to literally draw everything on a form using Flash that he wanted. Yeah. Wow. And when he started seeing the power of drag and drop. Yeah. He was like a kid in a candy store. He just
2: came to be a believer.
3: You know, <laughs> and it, you know just using VB, even, you know, earlier versions of VB, you know, we kind of take that for granted. Absolutely. Drag and drop. You know, sure. You have a control on the form, you want a button, boom, there it is. Yeah. He was just blown away by that. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to write lines and lines of code to make that happen.
2: Yeah, describing an interface in code rather than describing it visually.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So he he was loving it. He was he was actually digging it. So that's, that's great. great. That that's is cool great see that he he was having fun with that.
1: So so heed the uh, you know heed the story. VB programmers don't give up, man. Just keep grokking that stuff. Have faith, and uh, you know, don't worry. All will be revealed in the end. Right. <laughs> I feel like like I'm on the Jedi Council here. (laughs) Hey, uh, speaking of fun things, I like to ask all my guests, what's the coolest thing you've downloaded lately? And I got to tell you, I'm not going to ask this question to Microsoft people anymore because they always say, oh, MSN Search. You know? (laughs) So.
3: It's all the Google tools and the. uh... Yeah. Well, I downloaded the anti-spam, uh, the Microsoft beta version of their anti-spam. Oh, I love it! You know, that was exciting. But you know, I, I think I heard a sign of your promo or somewhere. But the, you know, one of the things I, I just recently started using, and I, I wish I'd started using it sooner, was that that uh, uh, the uh, Demon Tools.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. DTools.
3: That thing is just awesome, right? I mean, I've got, you get just just mount these ISOs as as, as as drives on your on your PC. As, I can't wait.
2: Uh it's the way it should be.
3: Absolutely love that. So that's probably I, probably the last one who who jumped on that. But I just started using that about a couple of weeks ago, and that's just been awesome.
1: I haven't started using it yet, but I plan to. There's lots of ways in which I can use that.
2: Oh, the uh, the stack of ISOs I have sitting in my big drive array, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the my <clears throat> two terabyte drive array is uh, the, everything I want is there, and I just mount it as a drive, and off I go.
3: Oh, and it's so cool, and it's so seamless, and it-
2: yeah. It's just a drive letter.
3: Yep, that's it. That's
2: have you heard about the
1: uh, the the perpendicular Hitachi uh, technology that's gonna uh, the way they're reorganizing the way that bits on a hard drive are stored? They're currently stored magnetically end to end, so that uh, they have to be a certain distance from each other. Otherwise, the magnetism will screw up the bits and they'll start ca- cascading and getting messed up. So what they're doing is instead of laying them flat, they're, they're, they're making them perpendicular, and they take up 10 times less room this way, right. and, it, and, and it basically results in a tenfold increase in storage. So a little 3-gig uh, microdrive will now be, in a couple of years, 30 gigs.
2: Well, now what you're looking at is we're going to have terabyte hard drives.
1: Right. We're going to have terabyte hard drives in a couple of years.
3: And you need that for your, for your iPod, right? So. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, you do. And, you know, it's not the iPod that's suffering because the iPod has a little hard drive in it, 20 gigs, no problem. That's okay. But it's the pocket PCs. The pocket PCs really don't have a good storage mechanism. Right. I'd love to see a 30-gig microdrive in a pocket PC. Then we it's can talk. A,
2: that's just a battery problem at that point. Yeah, right. You know, that's the other thing that's going to happen. Is The other advantage of density is getting rid of platters. I mean, I can already buy a 500-gigabyte hard drive, but it's got six platters in it. I yeah. want one platter, so I don't consume as much power.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Matt, are there any last-minute words of wisdom or advice or anything that you want to tell the, the .NET community before we log off today?
3: You know, I, I think we pretty much covered it, but I, I, hopefully they got nothing else out of this that... You know, I mean, you know, the power of .NET, especially as demonstrated by this, by this project that we were able to do in such a short amount of time, is is just, it's just amazing and phenomenal. It it truly was, you know, the enabler that allowed us to deliver this application to the I.R.L. on time and under budget. So, you know, just you know, keep plugging away.
1: That's excellent. Great message. well, listen, Matt. Uh, on behalf of myself and Jeff in the sound room, and Richard Campbell, and all the people that we know and love, would like to thank you for coming on the show.
3: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it's been
1: a, it. Been a great hour here, geeking out with you. And, and man, I just I love it. I love it all.
3: Down
2: the road, turn left.
3: Watch the Indy 500, and you'll see the app up there. So. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Have a great week, everybody.
0: Thanks, guys. Bye, bye. Pay my taxes with my credit